Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Afternoon. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, we as the church, we celebrated Pentecost. And last Sunday we did something uh, quite special. I thought we, uh, we prayed a Pentecost prayer together, but we prayed it in, I think it was nine or ten different languages. And as I've been speaking to some of you throughout the week, uh, I've just noticed that that really moved a lot of you. And I just want you to pay attention to what maybe is going on there. Not that it was just a nice moment for us to pray on Pentecost, but I think for many of us, it was a realization, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that we are connected to something much bigger than Lagan Valley Vineyard. We're connected to the global church, uh, the church where Jesus is moving, not just in this land, but in lands all across the world. And, and with that, I'm really excited that we're going to be carrying on that kind of a conversation today as uh, we look at what does it look like for us to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters all across the world. And so we're really delighted to have uh, Chris Phillips from Open Doors, who is going to lead us. Can I invite you to give Chris a massive Lagan Valley Vineyard welcome? It's so great, Chris, to, to have you with us. Um, I'd love to take a minute uh, to pray. And I'm going to pray for Chris, but I'm also going to pray for each of you. I'm going to pray that as Chris leads us, that the Lord would speak to you, would move you, uh, would stir you, and even call some of you into action, into what is such an important thing for us to lead into. So can I invite you to close your eyes? Um, if you're comfortable, can I invite you just to open your hands out in front of you, just, just to posture yourself with a sense of openness to the Spirit of Christ as he, as he leads us this day. Yeah, let me pray. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And Lord, we're so grateful for the ministry of Open Doors. We're so grateful for the decades that they have been brave, that they have worked bravely to serve the church all across this world. And we're so grateful for Chris and for his ministry. Would you bless him right now? Holy Spirit, would you fill him with all that he needs to lead us? But Spirit, would you lead us right now? Would you speak to us? Would you stir us? Help us to not just know but feel that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And Spirit, I pray that you would help us to be like our brothers and sisters this day, brave, courageous, contending for the gospel of your kingdom in every single aspect of our lives. So lead us, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Chris. Over to you. Amen. Thanks, Stu. It's great to be with you guys. Um, I was last here nearly two years ago to the day. It was a glorious sunny day that day. And uh, it must just be me that brings the sunshine to Lagan Valley. Um, but it's fantastic to be back with you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, just to explain, I do live here. It does, I'm not just an Englishman flown in for this morning. I live in Balamone, uh, wife, three kids and a cockapoo. And uh, it's my privilege to, to lead the ministry here in Ireland. I want to ask you a question at the beginning this morning. What's the riskiest thing you have ever done? What's the riskiest thing? thing you have ever done. Maybe it was a career move uh, or possibly a relationship choice. Perhaps you're sitting next to your riskiest move ever made. Uh, may, <laughs> there's a few people think so. Uh, maybe you've done something really extreme like parachuting uh, or uh, hang gliding or a bungee jump. Some people call those extreme, I call them bonkers. Uh, but uh, risk-taking is a personal choice, isn't it? Uh, we all have different levels of risk aversion. My friend down here is doing a bonkers challenge, four marathons in however many days. Bonkers, ex extreme risks involved in putting your body on the line. I could never do it, I'd probably never want to do it. But we all have a choice to make when it comes to risks. Uh, my wife and I sat with a financial advisor once and he said to us, how risky do you want to be with your money? Uh, I'm not going to ask you that question this morning, but it all has a different response for each one of us. And then uh, as you get older, your risk levels change. Um, I found myself, as I've got older, as I've become a dad, 
becoming more aware of risks, uh, becoming a little bit more anxious getting on a plane. Uh, these things start, start to change in us. And then my son, my eldest boy, my pride and joy, my firstborn, went away the other week with his school for a three-day residential. He was away from his mom and dad and granny that normally, normally stands in. He was away from us for three days. And I couldn't cope with this thought of my little boy uh, being so far away. And then at, at, at 4 p.m. on the Friday, when my phone rings and the school's name pops up, all these kind of fears ran through my head. What's happened to him? What's he done? Where's he hurt himself? What, do I, what are they going to tell me? In the end, they uh, got stuck in traffic in Manchester and they were going to miss the boat in Scotland. They were going to get the next one and they'd be home at 3 a.m. instead of 11.30 p.m. In the end, it wasn't that bad news. Um, but risks are personal choices. At Open Doors, as, as Stu prayed, we're a pretty brave, a pretty risk-averse kind of organisation. It's part of our DNA. Um, and yet, uh, a number of months ago, before I went on a trip to the Middle East, I had to go and do some heat training hostile environment training. Uh, our insurance had flagged up and our risk assessments had flagged up that people traveling to certain places needed a certain level of training. So for three days, I was put through some scenarios and some training to help me become more aware of the things that might occur on my upcoming trip. And I used none of it. And used none of it because our team out there and the people we were with looked after us so well, we were totally safe and it left me wondering what was the point. And especially when we think about Open Doors and how it started, there was a man called Brother Andrew, maybe some of you have heard of him, who in his early 20s said yes to Jesus, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And he started taking risks. And he travelled on his own and he went to some of the most dangerous places around the world at the time to take uh, Bibles to people that needed it, people that were living in their own levels of risks. And so that's our DNA. That's what we're all about. And Brother Andrew said this, don't say take care, say take risks. Don't say take care, care, say take risks. So when you leave here today and you say goodbye to somebody and you go to say naturally take care, have a good week. Maybe think about what you say. And so when we read the eighth beatitude, the, uh, the, the last one in the series of, of comments by Jesus that you've been working your way through, uh, the, the final one in that section, when we read at Open Doors, we don't necessarily read, blessed are the persecuted. persecuted. We read, blessed are the risk takers. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, maybe you want to turn to Matthew 5 so you can just read this bit with me, starting in verse 10. Matthew 5, verse 10, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in the message rendering of those uh, verses, it says this, it puts it this way. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, Eugene Peterson says, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, Jesus says. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. I love the way those words are written. I love the way it speaks about how persecution doesn't just happen. Persecution happens because it's been provoked by a commitment, by a, a level of risk that is out of the ordinary, that makes people uncomfortable, that makes people act against 
what is happening through and in the name of Jesus. And that's the way it's always been. Jesus says so, that, that we're in good company, that our brothers and sisters around the world today are in good company. It's always happened to God's people who've, who've lived against popular opinion. That's what the prophets did. If you know your Old Testament, you know that those prophets were always speaking to the people about what God was saying to them and most of them didn't like it. Most of it wasn't comfortable or popular. And then Jesus, his message was, was not comfortable or popular. Especially those who called themselves religious at the time didn't like what Jesus had to say. It was uncomfortable. So persecution was happening before Jesus happened to Jesus himself and those disciples that he's speaking to and many that would follow and it's still happening today thousands of years later watch the screen blessed are the risk takers the rebels and the rule breakers blessed are the grieving and the broken blessed are the brave and the outspoken Blessed are the hidden and disguised who watch their words, guard their footsteps and fear for their lives. Blessed are those in prison for their faith and blessed are those who are spied on by the state. Blessed are the lied about and cheated, the unjustly accused, the abused and the mistreated. Blessed are those who flee when they want to stay and blessed are those who remain when they could run away. Blessed are the refugee and the displaced, the exiled and excluded, the shamed and the disgraced. Blessed are those who worship in secret, who whisper their songs, hide their Bibles, forgive those who do them wrong. And blessed are those who are scared, but choose to follow just the same. And blessed are those who are persecuted in Jesus' name. Blessed are the risk takers, the rebels and the rule breakers. And blessed are those who have nothing but prayer. For God is always with them. And the kingdom is theirs. seen some examples there and heard some descriptions of the kind of things that brothers and sisters, our family members around the world uh, face today, this time in history. And it's, it's hard to go into all of those experiences. It's hard to cover all the countries uh, that that kind of thing happens. But there is a map highlighting that if persecution was a sport, this is where the most extreme versions are happening. Or put it another way, where Christians are taking the most risks for Jesus. And it's never been more risky or dangerous to follow Jesus. Since the world watch list began, the list that Open Doors produces to help us understand what's happening around the world, uh, those, over those 30 years, persecution and the levels of it has grown uh, exponentially. You'll see the levels of extremity they're uh, represented by the red colours on the map. And you'll see different places like uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, with far more orange and red and the complete shifting and the way it's taken over the whole globe. It highlights to us that persecution is getting worse. And there's another uh, graphic which helps just highlight that a little bit further. If we can have the next graphic, guys, that'd be good. Just shows the increase in uh, persecution across those years and the different things that have contributed to it. And you see the orange and red getting higher. The number of countries involved in that list has nearly doubled from 40 to 76 over 30 years. As you saw in the video, 360 million people face higher extreme levels of persecution. When I was here two years ago, that was 340 million the statistic there is that one in seven of us in that, in that number uh, are persecuted. We are part of that statistic. 
What would that look like if that was your row here today or uh, your tribe or even your own family? If that kind of ratio was applied to you today? Each day, 15 Christians are killed for their faith. That's over 5,000 in the year. And in Nigeria alone, uh, that's 14 there. They account for nearly all of that number. And if, uh, the, if the list was ranked purely on violence alone, Nigeria would be number one. We sang earlier that song, Waymaker, written by Sinach, who's from Nigeria. You are Waymaker, light in the darkness. She understands this reality as she wrote that song. It's a shocking statistic. And we have a campaign uh, helping raise awareness for what's happening in Nigeria. And then last year, 2,110 churches were attacked over half of them coming in China alone where surveillance and monitoring of churches is constant, where everyone is watching what they do, many having to meet in secret to worship together. And increasingly the church around the world is a refugee church. Many have been forced out of their homes or their own countries because of faith-based reasons. And in the last year, 4,542 believers were imprisoned unjustly without real trial or support. You see, this can look like bad news. It can look like uh, that darkness is winning in our world today. And uh, in many ways it is. These things are there because we need to respond. We, are, we have to act. We need to do something about it. And uh, scripture is very clear that we need to pray for these people as if it was us going through it ourselves. And that these people are part of our body and that when one part suffers, we all suffer. That is clear. 100% and that's what Open Doors exists for. Uh, so that's true and I, and I want you to hear that. But I also want to suggest to you today that those statistics are good news. They are evidence for us. They are proof that the church of Jesus is alive across the world today. That if those statistics were lower or coming down or, or if that map was changing colour the other way, it would suggest that the darkness was indeed winning, that Christians were giving up, that they were refusing, uh, they, they, were, they, were, they were kind of giving way to the persecutors. They were doing what they're told. They were renouncing their faith. They were uh, stopping, to worship, stopping worshiping together. They were giving up. But the fact that the numbers are getting worse tells us that that's not happening. The brothers and sisters are standing strong. They're standing up for Jesus in the midst of all that pressure. And that should give us hope. Um, my wife, uh, Lindsay, and I met just outside London. I was working for a church and um, she moved over for work. I'm very glad that she did. She walked into the church one day and uh, the Northern Irish accent won me over. And uh, I plucked up the courage after a few months to ask her out on a date. And um, we went for a meal and uh, no expense spared. And uh, we chatted long uh, into the night and then headed out into the uh, and so the car went for a drive and uh, parked up on Epsom Downs, uh, which is right by the race course uh, where the derby happened yesterday. And we got out for a walk and it was a beautiful, clear night, incredibly romantic, ladies. Uh, it was very special. And uh, we stopped and we uh, sat down on a bench and we looked across the whole of the city of London that we could see from that place. And it was all lit up. We could pick out all the landmarks and it was, it was glorious. And we sat and we looked at what we could see and and then I looked up at the, to, to the sky, expecting to see a sky full of stars because it was so clear, but it was completely covered in the light from the city. The light pollution of the city was just uh, bleeding into the darkness and the stars were hidden. Um, but now I live just outside Balamone in the country and uh, I've had to get used to the smell of slurry. Still getting used to it. <laughs> Especially on these hot days, you open the window and the boys have beaten, it to, beaten you to it. And, um, and the, the tractor's on the road and I've cleaned my car and suddenly it's dirty again. And, um, in fact, I was at the agricultural fair in Balamone yesterday. It's a big day for the town. It's a whole new world, I'm telling you. Um, but uh, on a clear night now, when I walk out into the garden with that cockapoo I mentioned earlier and she's doing her stuff and I'm waiting and I look up at the stars and it's beautiful. It's stunning because uh, we're, we're, we're in a darker part of the world here. Uh, and actually, the darker it is, the easier it is to see the light. Sometimes things have to get dark for us to be able to see the light that's been there all along. 
that there's light in the darkness that's brightly shining. And though some of them may be small glimmers of light, they're poking holes in that darkness. And for me, that's what our persecuted family, that 360 million, they are like lights shining in the darkness for us to give us hope and to encourage us today. And as we think about light and darkness, uh, this is not just a theological theme. It's actually something that runs all the way through scripture and it's something we should hold on to. We've sung about it multiple times in those songs today. In fact, it's something that goes right back to the beginning of scripture. Uh, In Genesis uh, chapter one, the very first words in the Bible, the first book of the Bible and the first five verses, verses one to five, speak about this light. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the earth. Darkness was there first. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The spirit of God was present in the darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. So God is present in the darkness. He creates the light and then he names those realities, those two things. And in the tradition when this was being written, uh, when you name something, you had authority over it. I tell my nine-year-old this all the time. I named you, therefore I have authority over you. Do what I say. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you have named something, you rule over it. And so um, in this situation, God is naming the darkness night. He's, he's showing his power and authority over it. And then we jump to uh, the Gospels and uh, uh, kind of in the middle of the Bible, not quite, but let's say it is. um, John chapter one, the first words of John and the first five verses. See what's happening here. And we read that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We're introduced to Jesus and we're told he was there when that light was created. It says, through him, all things was made, including the light. Without him, nothing was made, including the light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We sang, your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. It cannot be overcome. This is what we're singing about. This is the reality of this world that we live in. And so Jesus ultimately then comes and he's present in the world. He's the light of the world. And then ultimately he goes and conquers the darkness on the cross and in his resurrection and the darkness is defeated there. But then we jump right the way to the end of scripture, the very last chapter in the Bible and verses one to five. And we're told about this time where the, uh, the angel shows uh, John the river of the water of life. There's a, uh, there's a tree in there, in there and it's the restoration of Eden. It's meant to be this kind of coming back to Genesis. And uh, we're told that no longer will there be any curse, verse three. That the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. And then verse five there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, but the the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That thing that God had to name to have authority over, the night will be gone forever because Jesus' light will be present and we won't need anything else. It's this coming around back to what God always intended. It's this reality that we live in of of the light overcoming the darkness. Why am I telling you all this? Because our persecuted family live in that reality. They've read these verses and it's not just a theological statement that they just sing about as something that just they, they know is meant to be true. They believe it. They have to believe it because the darkness is all around them. And if they don't hold on to the light, they've got nothing left. And it's so hard for us to understand because our examples of darkness, our view of darkness is maybe limited to to this freedom that we live in. We miss this. We lose something of what this really means. I was, um, as I said, in the Middle East a little while ago and um, uh, one of the things we did on one of the days was travel around a few biblical sites. We went to Mount Nebo, which is where Moses was given a view of the promised land. It's really cool to stand there and to see what he saw. 
and all that that meant at the time. And then also we went to the baptism sites of Jesus or one of the supposed baptism sites of Jesus. They argue about these things. And um, but this place they think has got the most evidence. And we stood there and... Um, it was a little bit of an anticlimax, I have to say, because the River Jordan has been moved over the years so they can get more water for it. Um, the Jordan, the country, is one of the poorest countries for water in the world. So they need to try and navigate the water so they can collect more, to use more. So it's been moved. So this site is actually just more like a puddle with some steps. Um, but it's the place, and, uh, and we, we stood there, and we, we, we shared together, and we prayed together. And, um, and so I came away from that reading all these different bits of scripture where the River Jordan's mentioned or where some of these sites are mentioned. And so we read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter three, just before the Beatitudes. We hear about he's baptized and then he goes off into the wilderness. He escapes into the wilderness and it's there that he's tested. And testing is, is, is something like persecution. Jesus experienced what it was like to have to decide to go one way or another. If you like to take a risk, that Satan gives him a choice. He could go the easy route or he could go the harder route. And he chooses the harder route. He's tested, he's given a chance to make a decision and it's pivotal. And so that's important. And then after that, Jesus uh, comes out of that in, in, in chapter four and we're told in verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee. This is the first example really in the New Testament of, of a follower of Jesus, or he wasn't quite a follower, but you know, you know what John the Baptist did, he came before Jesus. He is put in prison. Persecution happening right there. He was unjustly imprisoned. And Jesus hears about this and he withdraws to Galilee. He leaves Nazareth, his hometown, and he goes to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why is uh, Matthew telling us this? Well, he says so, verse 14, this is to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, which takes us to Isaiah 9, but Matthew quotes it for us. He says, in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, he says clearly the place where this is happening so that we know this is a prophecy, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And my ears prick up as I read this. I've been there, the Jordan, fantastic. Why are we told this? Because it says this, the people living in darkness. Sorry guys, I've lost my clicker. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew tells us that Jesus' beginning of his ministry is, a prof, is, a, is, to, is to prove this prophecy true, that, that the light has come in the darkness. This is what Jesus is all about, that the people have seen a great light. And again, our persecuted family have, have, have read this. This is what Jesus is here to do. And the next verse says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is how he starts his ministry. He goes and calls his disciples next. He starts to heal the sick. Large crowds begin to follow him because of that. And what does he do? He gets away from the crowds. He retreats. He gets his mates and he goes and he starts to teach them. He starts this Sermon on the Mount. He starts to lay down what they're gonna be all about as a group of people. He's speaking with this small crowd and it's a message that's not for the masses. He wants his team to grasp this stuff so that they know the risks that they are taking. They know the kind of work they're becoming part of. A few weeks ago, Stu described how Jesus uses the Beatitudes as a way to present the kingdom of God as an upside down kingdom or the right way up, I think he maybe said. But he also said this, the kingdom is lavishly laid at the feet of those that we would consider to be the least. That Jesus' kingdom is all about the lost, the last and the least. And often the persecuted church can be seen or, or sometimes our response to them is one of sympathy, of one of kind of poor them, that we think of them as being the least, that they are suffering, that they're the ones uh, maybe forgotten about and that we're kind of in freedom so we must be getting everything right. But actually, I want to suggest if that kingdom is upside down, what if these guys are the ones that have got everything right? 
if we are all part of the kingdom of light, if we're all part of this same reality, then their small light in their darkness should tell us something, should tell us about what it looks like to to shine for Jesus. That actually maybe it's about perseverance. Maybe it's about keeping going when the darkness closes in on you. And I want to suggest that these people are like mentors, are like guides, are like people that we should want to stand alongside, not just for their sake, but for ours. It should inspire us, should challenge us, should encourage us to be more bold, to take more risks, to follow Jesus no matter the cost. So remind you of that Eugene Peterson rendering of Jesus' words, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. When you take a risk, when you're so committed to him that you don't even calculate the risks, you just do it anyway. Because as Peterson says, the persecution drives you even deeper into this kingdom, this upside down kingdom of God. So here's one story to help you picture what that looks like. This is one story that over the last few years has inspired me the most. It's a guy called Pastor Indanil, who's from Sri Lanka, which you'll see is number 62 on the world watch list. It's yellow. Can't be that bad, surely. But I want to tell you that India, which is the country just to the northwest, the big one, like a triangle, that one is number 11 on the world watch list. India is much more violent than Sri Lanka, but Sri Lanka scores higher in terms of the private life pressure. The aspect of persecution that's just on everyday life for believers there. Maybe isn't as violent, but it's everyday. It's everywhere you look. It's just there closing you in, the darkness on top of you all the time. And so Pastor Indanil lives in the southern province of Sri Lanka, which has a small percentage of Christians. It's about 0.4% of the population are Christians. About five out of every 1,000. And uh, there are some uh, villages in the area that have uh, 50,000 residents, residents, but no Christian church. So Pastor Indanil goes to this area. He starts a ministry there. He says, that's where I need to be. And he starts visiting people and praying with them. And he visits them and they share their problems with him. And he says, God has a solution to your problems. Let me pray for you. And so he prays and some of the people told him, when you prayed, it felt like being fed rice after starving for a whole month. Please continue to come and pray for us. And so a a church begins, a ministry is birthed as people start to uh, be invited into this community. They start to gather regularly together. Here's their photos of their gatherings from 2020. Some experienced healing, uh, deliverance from evil spirits, And then COVID hits. So the church kicks into action. They start to provide for people in the village that are hungry, people who didn't have any food. Start helping in whatever way they could. Sounds a bit like Love, Lag and Valley. They got to help many people in the village. They showed the love of Christ and people started to get closer to them and started to worship with them and gather day by day. And all of this got them to the attention of the religious authorities People who uh, this kind of gathering, this kind of ministry, this kind of work wasn't comfortable. It wasn't popular. Just as in Jesus' day, the religious authorities didn't like what was happening. It starts to happen here in Sri Lanka over 2,000 years later as the local religious authorities wanted to put a stop to what was happening. They wanted to keep control, keep their monopoly on the villages. And so they rallied against this gathering. Not only people from the village, but they brought in others from outside. And on the 6th of March, 2022, they incited a large crowd. They gathered together about a thousand of them and then sent 700 to 800 people down to this place of worship at about 5.30 p.m. They forcefully entered the premises where the believers were gathering. They threatened them and attacked them. They threatened saying they would kill them if they ever gathered again. And after causing uproar for a few hours, they eventually left. Police officers stood by as it all happened. No charges were brought. They didn't intervene. Even stood there as threats of the building being set on fire, of more killings, of more beatings were thrown out. And so they carried on gathering after people had left. They recovered and they said to the police, you can't stop us from gathering. If you want to take the matter to court. But nothing happened. Nothing was done. So the believers didn't know what to do. Would they, would they meet again? Were there going to be more attacks, more threats and more risks? 
And that's where Open Doors uh, jumped in. Uh, we provide some training around the world for people who are going through persecution called Standing Strong Through the Storm. And so 80 of these believers gathered together for training. You'll see many of them there. They heard about how persecution could bring about something positive, about how it's happened throughout history and it continues to happen today and how the, the church can't be stopped and, and how uh, this can bring about good things. And um, th- th- as you see on the screen, they learned that, blessing, uh, that persecution could be a blessing. It was like the blessed life that Jesus spoke about. And their attitudes started to change. They started to find hope again. They started to see persecution as a joy. And then they learned as well about legal provisions for them in their country. And with a bit of help from Open Doors partners, they were able to go to the police again and say, take this matter to court. We want to argue our case. And uh, the CCTV footage, which was provided by Open Doors, was used in the case as it went to court and the judge uh, was, was miraculously moved to say that they could continue to meet together, that there was nothing to stop them. There was no legal grounds for these people not to gather. And so they were given permission and the legal restrictions on the building were removed and they were able to meet again. And that was the turning point, Pastor Endenor said, that suddenly they knew they had freedom. Suddenly they knew they could keep going and it completely changed everything. They continued to gather on Sundays. They started a prayer time every night at 9 p.m. And they met to pray and they were still doing that. It continued months after when I met Pastor Endenor. He says, I believe prayer increased a thousand fold in our church. People's spiritual growth was happening so quickly. And then he said this, that one incident accomplished what a thousand sermons could not. Incredible transformation because of this. They grew recognition in the area. Christians who'd been hiding in secret now came out and started to meet Day by day, more people coming to church. Family members who were part of the attack now joined them and asked for forgiveness. There was a great revival among the youth and the adults. One man who had an addiction to alcohol before the attack hasn't hasn't touched a drop since. Their community drew closer together. People stood together and reconciled broken relationships. They served their community even more than before, providing for those in need. And then he, he says this, What I can share from my experience is that this is not easy. But while going through this, I experienced that God was with us. Just like he promised, he gave us the words to speak. We had to trust in God. It's vital that servants of God have certainty in him. Without this confidence, we hide, we backslide and we grow discouraged. When we have that confidence, you can go anywhere and stand before anyone. This courage will accomplish so much. There are no shortcuts. We can't run away. We must courageously face these problems with the love of Christ. That challenges me so much. There are no shortcuts. How often do I think that following Jesus should be easy? I should be able to do this by now. I'm 41, I should be able to do this. And if not, I'll just find another podcast or I'll read another book or I'll tune into some more worship albums. This should be easy. But the reality is that if I'm really gonna live for Jesus, like past the end, then I need to recognize there are no shortcuts. It's not easy. There is a hard road and it looks like following Jesus, whatever the cost, it looks like taking risks for him. And I should wanna do that because it means so much to me. This is the best news ever. Why am I not taking it more seriously? Why am I not ready to stand up for him? It's interesting that just after the Beatitudes, the very next thing that Jesus says, which is broken up in our Bibles into like another section, but it wouldn't have been, Jesus just keeps on speaking. And the next thing he says is, you are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What does salt do? It stands out. You can taste it. It doesn't just blend in. Are you salty or have you lost your saltiness? And then he says, you are the light of the world. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. John 1 says that the light shines in the darkness. He came into the world. He was the light that was created in Genesis. And then he comes, he was present then and he's present now. But then the light is in us. Jesus comes and reveals that we are the light of the world. 
And we shouldn't hide ourselves away. We shouldn't cover ourselves under a bucket. We should shine like a city on a hill. Are you shining for him today? Or is the darkness overcoming you? In my trip to the Middle East, I met these four young people. They're part of the salt and light team in their school. It's a school that's in a a Muslim majority area and they are funded through a project with Open Doors Partners, which includes Youth for Christ actually in the country. And uh, they are there um, to be salt and light in in their school. So they have various little things that they do to try and shine for Jesus and to be salty in that place. And as they told us what they did and as they uh, thanked us for our support, um, they, um, they went through each one with a little thing that they prepared in their broken English. And the girl on the far left simply said, thank you so much for your support. We won't disappoint you. We won't disappoint you. It gets me every time it got me then because I thought, you're not going to disappoint me. Like, what, what if I disappoint you? You're here and you're living for Jesus in the midst of this darkness and you're doing it no matter what and you're thanking me and you're not going to disappoint me. I want to invite you today to stand with these persecuted believers, not for their sake, but for yours. Uh, On your chairs, there's a a few cards dotted around and fight over them because there's not many, but if you need any more, come see me. But they're there just to give you a vehicle to connect more with this ministry and with the people that we work with so that Yes, you can support with them, support them and stand with them, which is vitally important. And please, if you've been stirred that way, do it. You can find links on there to give. Uh, you can find links that you can take action and to do something so that you're not just passive or you can ultimately, you can find resources to help you pray. And, and prayer is the most important. It's the easiest and it's the most vital. Those things can be done through that card. I'm not trying to coerce you. There's no manipulation. Just do whatever you want. Uh, but um, there's also some postcards attached to some of them, which you can take home and stick on your fridge or in your Bible. And they're there to remind you. And it gives you some stories and some things to pray about. Please don't forget these people and the message that they bring and the provocation that they bring to want to live more courageously, to take more risks for Jesus. Please do use those things in whatever way you want. Um, but I want to invite you to, to pray today. Um, Tiram, who's from Nigeria, which, as I said, is the most violent place in the world to be a Christian, uh, where more killings happen than anywhere else because of, uh, the, because of Christians' faith, where, where believers there are taking the most severe risks for Jesus. She says, when we in the persecuted church are like an injured foot, It's bleeding, the wound is open. When you come alongside, it's like you soothe the pain. You take care of the wound. I can't take you to Nigeria today. Tiram's been here a few years ago, but I can't take you there. But our prayers can take us there. Brother Andrew famously said, our prayers can go where we can't. There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. So I want to invite you to pray together now. And I'd love to ask you to stand, uh, if that's okay. Um, and the way, way we're going to do this is just pray through some situations, through some things that I've said and some things that I haven't, um, and maybe just turn to the people you're with or the people next to you, and we're just going to pray across this place, and there's been some music playing, um, and we're just going to do some, um, we're going to do some fight and do some battle today. Brother Andrew said that prayer is not the preparation for the battle, prayer is the battle. So as we contend for the sake of the light in the midst of the darkness today, we are doing some warfare. We are fighting on behalf of our persecuted family. So we can pray for some things for brothers and sisters living in those kind of dark places, feeling fear and uh, living in secret and grief and pain. Uh, remember those songs that we sang earlier that, the, that, that Jesus makes the darkness tremble. We want to pray that for them. Uh, We're going to pray for Christians in Nigeria, that place that I've mentioned a few times. And there are some believers from Nigeria being prayed for by our partners and workers there. And and pray for that campaign. It's it's called Arise Africa. And we are writing letters to MPs in, in, in Westminster and in Dublin, asking them to do something about the human rights um, crimes that are being committed in Nigeria. It's up for renewal and review uh, currently. And uh, they need to do that and do it well. 
and put a stop to this. And so you can play a part in that campaign, but please pray about it. Uh, pray for the underground networks, uh, people living in secret and our uh, underground team that are doing various things all across the world in dangerous and dark places. And then pray for Pastor Indanil in Sri Lanka. In fact, he gave us a few things to pray for. I would like uh, to request that you continue praying for our ministry here in Sri Lanka. We want to reach out to more people in remote villages. Uh, pray for our vision. We want every person to have access to a prayer group within walking distance. We want every village to have small groups worshiping together. Pray that leaders would rise up in communities and for transformation in Sri Lanka during our lifetime. Great prayers. Pray for those things. So as the music plays, just turn to the people around you and let's pray together. Thank you. If you're still praying, I want to invite you to continue to pray. Um, but I, I love for, I love to lead us in, in prayer for a moment. Um, I love to pray specifically for the church that Pastor Indanel pastors. And uh, I love for us as Lagan Valley Vineyard just to pray for them for a moment. So would you mind joining me just as, as we pray? And uh, I want you to join me in praying boldly. If you agree with what I pray, can I encourage you to say amen? Can I uh, encourage you in your spirit just to, um, yeah, just cry out for what he is longing for, which is the transformation of Sri Lanka, but also for that to begin in his church as it gathers this weekend. So um, can we pray for them? Is that all right? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And Father's pastor and Danelle's church gathers this weekend. Spirit, I pray that what he longs for, the transformation of his nation, Lord, there be something that begins in his community that would allow that to unfold around him. So Lord, would you come and would you bless him? Would you bless the brave brothers and sisters that are gathering around that community? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would release amongst them that desire for renewal, for reviving, for a sense of your spirit to move throughout their community. Would you come, Lord? And would you bless them as they continue to be brave? Bless them, Lord. Here's the thing. One of the dangers of a morning like this morning is that we can do what so often happens is that we leave this and we're like, our response is, you know what? I'm glad it's not me. Um, or our response is, that is so far away. And what I love about what Chris has provoked in us today is actually looking upon our brothers and sisters, not with sympathy, but just through the lens of inspiration, to be inspired by them, to be inspired by their example. As Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think we need to imitate some persecuted brothers and sisters. Like, yeah, oh man, I could go off on one. I'm not going to. But we need to follow after them. So often the people in our imaginations that we think we need to follow in the church is so upside down and we need to turn that right way up. And so I love for, um, yeah, I love to pray for us as a church. And you've heard me speak about this in recent weeks. Uh, the Lord is wrecking me at the minute with Psalm 86. The prayer, Lord, would you give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name? And whenever David wrote that psalm, the reason why he said that he wanted an undivided heart was this, because great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O oh Lord. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. Our brothers and sisters across the world know exactly what this is about. But he says this, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. The reason why our persecuted brothers and sisters are able to be as brave as they are is because they have a revelation of the love of God that is for them, that leads them to have an undivided heart. And as we imitate them, as we follow their example, I wanna just pray for a moment that we would have undivided hearts, but that that would begin with a revelation of God's love that is deeper and profound than it is right now for us. And so, if you this morning 
long to be braver, long to take steps towards courage, long to be riskier, long to be salt and light. As you consider what awaits you in work this week, as you consider some of the family situations that are going on, as you consider what it looks like to live in this part of the land and wonder, Lord, could I be braver? I wanna pray that we as a church would experience a deeper revelation of the love of God. And so if you wanna receive that kind of a prayer this morning, if you wanna receive blessing in that, if you long to be braver, I love to pray for you. And the easiest way for me to know who to pray for is, would you just stick out your hands in front of you? Just to posture yourself just with a longing of, Lord, I wanna be braver. I want an undivided heart. I want a deeper revelation of your love. So come, Lord. Right now, I, I pray, would you reveal the depths of your love for us? As Pastor Indanel said earlier, that we would know that you are with us. Lord, would your manifold presence just increase in our lives? Would you make us more aware of you? Spirit, come and fill us with a deeper revelation so that we may have an undivided heart that fears your name, that we may be the kind of people that are riskier and bolder. Yeah, come on. Let's going to share something. We spent 10 years working in Southeast Asia and 15 years working with the persecuted church. They blew us away, their courage, their willingness to serve. And often what the guys said to us was, don't pray that persecution will stop. Pray that we will be faithful. And I just had a real sense today that that's what we're called to. We're called to be faithful with them. We're called to stand with them. They pay with their lives. They pay with their land. They pay with everything. We're called to stand with them as part of the global family, as part of the church. Yeah. Come Holy Spirit. Yes. Father, I just pray this morning will be a turning point in our lives, that you will bind us together, that you will open our eyes to what's happening to our families, to our church family, that you will renew the passion that you have for our church, for your church, Lord, and that you will give us an opportunity to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, for those whose churches are being burnt down, for those who are being beaten, for those who are in prison, for those who sit and cry out to you in a room thinking no one knows and no one hears and no one cares. Father, stir our hearts to stand with them. Remind us, prompt us, and guide us what you're calling us to do, Jesus. Amen. We're going to take a moment before we close the worship to exalt the name of Jesus. This is all about him. It is all for him. And if you've been responding in the past couple of moments, can I encourage you, stay in that place as we worship. Don't check out. Be open to what the Spirit might do amongst you in your heart as he turns your heart from being divided to being undivided. Be open to what he's doing. So let's, let's worship Jesus. Let's lift him high as we close out our time together.